the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. That's good. That sounds really good. Okay, cool. So I wanted to tell you, by the way, I really enjoyed the episode with your brother. I know I was apprehensive at first. Um, I had no reason to be. It was just my own bullshit coming up. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And it got me thinking about a lot of stuff. And I said I was going to email you about it. And I never did. Um, Ooh, but what did me... it get you thinking about? Well, so first of all, I would love to have, I think, someone from my family on to share kind of like <laughs> what their impression of it was. And I think that's a really good thing to have. I think having your brother there and kind of sharing with us what his impression of your divorce was like and your sister's, but we primarily spoke about yours in terms of what it was like for you to, you know, reach out and need to connect with your family and, and have your family at that time. I thought that was just a wonderful insight um, and a great perspective. And so it just got me thinking about like, I wonder if my mother were on the show or if my sister, who I think would be an equal counterpart to your brother, um, would like to be on the show as well. Um, but I just, I thought it was really good. I thought it was a really just kind of natural move. Uh, and I was very happy that you brought him on. And I thought he was great too, even if he was tough to keep up with. I can't imagine what it was like growing up with him in the household. Um, he wasn't that clever or funny as a child. He no. bloomed later on. <laughs> <laughs> it always happens that way. Um, but then I also got thinking that like, you know, I think there was the part about the Beit Dean and whatnot, which was really interesting and new. Um, which could be also like if we could interview someone from a bait dean, like what that perspective would be like. But then it was also um, thinking about we do a lot of stuff and naturally, naturally so, right? We do a lot of stuff on the spiritual, religious and like relational stuff, right? Um, but we could also be doing plenty of other conversations, like a conversation with a divorce coach, which I am, but I would rather bring in someone else, right? Just to have their perspective and make it less biased. We could bring in someone who specializes in divorce financial planning, right, to talk about what it's like to go through divorce and be, you know, concerned about your finances and also what it means post-divorce. Like, how do you plan for your kid's college and retirement now that you're divorced, right? All those things are well, kind of up in the We have to do our air. research because there are, there are plenty of resources out there for, for those kinds of things. And there are other divorce podcasts. So we have to see what... You know, this was the niche of, like, divorce and Judaism. Not that we can't talk about things that are practical. Of course, we, we should... But we just need to do some research to see what the other podcasts are putting out there. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm happy to do that. Um, but like in terms of and you're right, the niche is Jewish divorce. But um, even if it's a niche Jewish divorce, we still need to address like all the common and universal themes that go into divorce. Anyway, we should get a Jewish principal or educator on here and talk about what it's like from that perspective. Yes. of dealing yes. with this. What's definitely an increase of Jewish divorces in Jewish schools. So like what you're saying, but like put it back into our niche a little bit. So it's I think, I think by the way, everyone we can find, right. Can be Jewish, right. There's no question about it. But my point is to say is that there are universal topics, right. That impact divorce, whether or not it's Jewish and it behooves us to tackle those topics as well. Things like parental alienation, abusive exes, narcissists and divorce is a huge topic, huge. Yeah. What, is, what does it mean I to like, I'm very annoyed with it. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's one of my platforms. Like, uh, yeah, I know you divorced a narcissist. Everybody divorced a narcissist. Are there really 80,000 narcissists I, in the world? I completely oh, and your ex-wife you. is a bitch. Oh, I never heard this narrative before. He's a narcissist. She's a, she's a, a, 
a life-sucking bitch. You need to lean into your mic, by the way, because every time okay. you lean back, it's going back to that original sound. And I'm there with you. I'm there with you. I don't want to do 10 different episodes on narcissists. I think they're ridiculous, right? And I hate going into those conversations, but I do think they're important just in terms of perpetuation of the conversation and also relevance, because I think it's important for us to tackle those. We can have a conversation about narcissists. I think it's very important because I don't think that most people are actually divorcing narcissists. So I'm happy to get on my I think that's important to bring up too. I think we can bring that up, which is to say like, yes, it is a problem, but also recognize that this may not be your problem, right? It's not possible that they're all narcissists. And on top of it, right, there's like nine different qualifications for it and you have to like hit them all, right? So like, and it's a very, and and I think the people who are hosting narcissist conversations are are doing so in a real kind of sloppy way, right? They're very fear-driven, um, their anxiety. Well, the people that are hosting really narcissist diagnosed. conversations are using a very s- smart marketing plan because everybody thinks that they're divorcing a narcissist. So they want to speak to the person who is the narcissist expert, Absolutely. but it's so ridiculous. I thought, mm-hmm. I, I thought for a minute, based on some things that happened with Tamar, that I was, I, that I had divorced a narcissist and I'm still okay. not sure. Right. Uh, and, and I'm like reluctant to attach that label to it, even if it makes life easier at times. Whatever. Well, we can save it for our ta- our thing, but I don't have so much time today. I need to end a little early because I had to do some prep work. So that's fine. What? That's Go fine. quickly. Tell me about your weekend. Uh, the weekend was was a oh, lot I- of fun. It was really good. Um, it was a really wonderful time. Uh, you know, an, an amazing connection. Felt really seen. Uh, I feel like I offered that in return as well. It was a very kind of mutual experience, and we just kind of you know, fell into it that way. And that was really nice. And then as it was ending, there was sadness, um, you know, and uh, a joy as well from, you know, having been there and having committed the time, but also sadness because it was ending and still a little sadness now. We miss each other, uh, but we're also very much clear about what's going on. And I think, you you know, uh, I'm sorry. You in touch daily? Oh, sorry. Um, are you in touch daily? Are you still in touch or are you not even in touch anymore? Yeah, no, no. We speak. We're speaking. We're really good friends. I mean, it feels really good that way. And there have been uh, actually just some miscommunications along the way that have made things interesting, but uh, it's been good. I mean, it feels like a really good friendship and I, I enjoy that as well, uh, even if there is, you know, some really good heat there between us. And I think she would say the same, uh, you know, and it, it, it speaks to kind of this, um, I don't want to say tension, but it speaks to just this difficulty. I feel, you know, I, I felt it was very worthwhile to go out there for a number of different reasons, starting first to see her. She and I had developed, I think, a great connection or friendship just through talking and basic intimacy with one another, not basic intimacy, but intimacy. And being able to be there you know, in each other's presence, in each other's physical space, I thought was really great. It was wonderful. Uh, You know, it was kind of like the, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but it was the actualization. Yeah, it was the actualization of all that intimacy that we had built up. And that felt really good. And it felt very familiar, despite her being of a completely different background and upbringing. The conversations were really easy in that way. Like I said, I felt seen. And so it felt really worthwhile in that way. And then afterwards, and she mentioned this, you know, something that she had experienced uh, as a child growing up at her summer camps, which were faith-based, 
you know, the, apparently the staff would say things like if you're feeling like an emotional fallout, you know, towards the end of camp, right. Just know it's because of the experience that you've been having. And I thought that was a really profound thing to say uh, because I was certainly feeling a little bit of an emotional fallout, you know, felt very much uh, like, like that song by Simon and Garfunkel, I'm a rock, I'm an Island, right. I don't, uh, an, an island feels no pain and a rock never cries. Um, or maybe it's the other way around, but either way, the, the idea is that like, if, if you're not falling in love, right, if you're not opening yourself up and making yourself vulnerable, then you have, you know, nothing to worry about, right? There's no pain involved. And on the flip side of it, you're always isolated. You're always alone and in yourself. Yeah. And I just, you know, that was my emotional fallout moment was thinking like, why did I do this? right? Why did I put myself through this? I knew this was going to be the circumstance, right? Even if I was open to it, why did I put myself through it? And still I came back to, because it was worth it for every moment, every, every moment of it was worth it just to feel that way, to feel seen and to be held and to be touched in that way. And to, I mean, it was just really worth it in that way. Really, really worth it. So are you going to see each other again? Any plans for that? I don't know. It's open. It's really open. And she and I have, you know, tried to set up certain boundaries in terms of what we will and what we won't talk about. And we're trying to be respectful of each other's spaces. And we both understand that we're still dating on the dating scene, right? That this isn't anything exclusive or committed. Um, but I, I think being there with someone, you know, having a relationship with someone that is intimately that deep, again, where I can feel seen and heard is really great it feels it, it just feels amazing it really does and I think she feels that way too I don't think I'm speaking on a turn or anything like that you know I think she feels that pain and that sadness too um, you know and she very much also wants I think at the baseline uh, a foundation of a good friendship I mean does she have kids she does yeah she has two kids how old around the same age as mine yeah. And she's got an ex, you know, and problems with her ex as well for as much as she deals with them. But oh, is her has, ex a narcissist? I don't know. I don't know that her ex is a narcissist or anything like that. And I won't diagnose him or, or suggest otherwise, but she's got an ex like we all have, you know, and she deals with him in her own way and in her own time. And, but she walks with this, you know, kind of amazing sense of grace. It's really fascinating uh, the way kind of um, shit happens to her like it happens to a lot of people and how she deals with it it's quite fascinating um and it was just great to see it too to learn that perspective i think that's one of the things i enjoy the most about meeting new people is kind of learning how they handle stuff in life and seeing if there's something that maybe i can pick up from that and put in my tool belt and it was really wonderful to see the way that she just kind of takes shit on uh and processes it and deals with it and then leaves it behind so it was it was awesome it was great that's yeah. awesome. Okay. Well, every moment, a learning experience, right? Any new loves for you? Um, any new loves for me? No, busy. I'm busy right before end of the year. Kids are finishing school. Got a ton of stuff happening professionally. So no time. Who has time? <laughs> are you in still kind of this like building up phase of your new brand? Is that what you're trying to do? No, I'm finishing up all my licensure requirements. So it's like, obviously I waited to the last minute 
of course, because I had like three years to do this. Sure. So I've just been doing all my hours, but I have all the other stuff that I need, like uh, my tests and I had some courses that I needed to just like stuff. So I've been doing everything in the last two months and it's absolutely insane. And so at the end, my goal is end of June to really be finished everything. And then July, I'm kind of kind of like, in the summer, a lot of clients fall off anyway, kids right. go to camp, parents, it's like a whole different mode. So it's usually a way lighter load. And I'm going to like reassess everything of like, now, now what licensure, now what's the focus in the direction? When exactly did you be, wanted to become a therapist? I mean, you got divorced. And then when did you decide on therapy? I always knew I wanted to, that that was a possibility. My undergraduate degree is, is as an art therapist, you know, it doesn't do much on its own. You need a master's right. degree, but so I did that before I was married a million years ago. Right. It's always been the, the trajectory and then had kids and was doing stuff. I wasn't sure what I wanted to use my degree for. So I had two tracks of intense interest. One was um, more the mental health and then subsequently the divorce co-parenting relationship world. And then the other is mental health in our education system, specifically around creativity and going in and totally like, like kind of like throwing up everything, you know, like really figuring out a way how to get new conversations started, how to reimagine our education system and um, do that. So, but I chose the mental health. When you got divorced, though, did you think to yourself, like, this is now what I'm going to be focusing on in terms of, I mean, I just wonder about people when they go through divorce, obviously, they, I think they go through like a reinvention stage in terms of this, you know, I'm no longer with someone, I don't have to run my decisions by them, this can be totally, you know, entirely what I want. Was that a period, like similar to what you went through? Wait, what does that have to do with being independent? Well, I wonder just like, you know, like you, you had the art therapy thing, right. But then you wanted yeah. to take it further. Right. So was that part of your reinvention, you know, stage after? Oh, no, I applied for graduate school before I was divorced. Uh-huh. Um, so it was definitely the plan to go back to school and start working in that area after I got divorced. Why I chose this niche, because I sat down and I did the kind of like what can I speak to authentically? What do I feel like there is a need for? What am I good at? (laughs) And what do I enjoy? And um, I just can speak to this so authentically. I can, this dealing with this population that it felt very real. It'd be hard for me to go specialize in autism. You know, I just don't, I don't have that. I don't have that experience. So it seemed natural. Do you think had you stayed married, you would have moved in that direction anyway? I probably would have um, done parenting and relationship Mm. to me. I don't for better or worse. I don't know. It's a good question for the world. I don't separate my professional and personal life so much. I think there's so much intersection and I use both to the advantage of the other. I chose, and I I've said it on here. I've chose co-parenting and parenting as one of my areas of expertise because it makes me put my money where my mouth is. It, really makes me invest in my personal life to be and do the things that I talk about in my professional life. So that was incredibly intentional. I feel like I would have done something similar if I were in my marriage that, you know, to learn, to be an expert in marriages and relationships and parenting, I would use that to, so that I could bring it back into my relationship and, and just be a regular parent. 
not a cool parent. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that because that seems to be the way a lot of well, first of all, entrepreneurial pathways are going are, are incredibly niche, right? You take your own experience and you do exactly like what you're saying in terms of your money where your mouth is, right? This is me. This is my life. This is what I have expertise in. This is what I know really well. Certainly, I think the idea of this podcast spoke to me in that way because, you know, not to say that divorce is a defining element of my identity, but certainly being a rabbi is defining of me, right? Certainly something that I enjoy, even if it is not entirely who I am, but it is a cap that I wear proudly and something that I can speak to. And then there are other elements of it that are pastoral um, and that also, I think, take on, or at least what's the word of activate those kind of coaching muscles that I have and that I've always been drawn to, right? So walking with people through confusing scenarios, particularly working with men, right? Who may not necessarily know how to articulate themselves in divorce and ask for what they want or go through it in healthy ways and try to find community. I, I think there was a real kind of uh, real useful nature to what I went through in divorce. And so trying to pay that forward, or at least use that as expertise to say, I have real kind of practical knowledge in this that could benefit you is something that I'm doing as well, but I think is also kind of the general theme similar to what you're talking about, that there is a real, a, a, you know, you can't just do anything unless you feel really passionate about it, right? You want to, you want to enjoy your work. You have to do what you love, right? And you'll probably end up doing it forever because it just brings you joy, but all the more so it makes what you're de delivering to people, I think a, that much more useful. And also that just more kind of valid and legitimate because you are the proof of it, right? You've been able to go through the ringer and take out some real wisdom, which maybe universal, but not everyone is capable of articulating. So there's something to it in terms of using your own experience to bring into your professional life and blurring that boundary in really practical ways. Yeah. Yeah, it's been very helpful. Been very helpful for me. <laughs> I don't know, that's just the way that I operate. And I, but it seems like it would be a reasonable way for most people to choose what they do. Well, do you find that this podcast has also been a good articulation for you in terms of what you've learned in divorce? And so now bringing that forward for people so that they can also use it. I mean, you're, you're working in a pretty niche audience in that way in and of itself, right? In terms of the community that you came from and what divorce is like. And we got some of that with your brother last time, right? But, okay. you know, the experience that you have is very particular. So, I mean, I... I feel fortunate I have multiple platforms where I, where this isn't the only platform where I talk about one, my personal experience and also divorce in general, but for sure, you know, we talk about things in a very specific way that does help me formulate things or at least gives it a platform to expose some of the ideas to a wider population for sure. Have you had other people in the community that you're from reach out to you? and say, I've listened to the podcast and I really appreciate what you're saying. Like, do you find that it'll be a useful tool for others in your community in that way? A little bit, a little bit. I, I think that, first of all, I, I, haven't, I, it's, I haven't been great about posting it and doing all of that stuff. So I don't have that much on my end. Um, I think that that's something that we need to sit down and talk like next steps and how are we developing and building. Sure, yeah. um, but it's been it's been hard. Like to me, it's been like show up, do the podcast. That's kind of where my max is right now. And hopefully my, like my light at the end of the tunnel is June, end of June. And then, 
you know, that all I could, I just keep thinking about my life as that parable, you know, that, that, um, old shtetl parable of parable of the wife who's complaining her house is too small. It's so funny how often I use this parable. It seems so relevant. And so the, he, the husband goes and the rabbi says, bring in the chicken. And now oh, it's too, it's still cramped to bring in the dog, the horse, everything like that. And then, you know, they empty the house and all of a sudden it feels so roomy. I feel like that's how I hoping my life will be. It's been insane these past few years, just getting increasingly crazier. And then hopefully it's, Oh, I'm going to take all the animals out and now we'll just see what the house is like. So that's There's cool. another good parable as you bring up that one of stuffing the house, then coming back to an empty house. There's another good one of it's about a man and he's kind of so tired of his town. Everything's so predictable, right? He, you know, and everything in his home is predictable and he doesn't enjoy it. It's all the kind of same old thing. It's just so boring to him. And so he's like, you know what, I'm going to go off somewhere else. I'm going to go walk to heaven or something. And he goes off and he gets tired along the way. And uh, at night he puts his shoes in the direction he's supposed to be walking. Right. So the front of them points to where he's supposed to head off so he can just slip right in. But apparently, you know, in these wise men of Helm stories, of course, like a mouse comes around and turns the shoes back in the original direction he came from. And so he puts the shoes on thinking that he's going in the new direction in the morning. In reality, he walks back to his old town and his house and he thinks, wow, this is heaven and it's just like my old place and it's great and everything's exactly where I left it. And I, it reminds me so much of beautiful things. And even the person who's yelling at me is my beautiful wife and it feels so amazing. And the food tastes even better than it did when I was here on earth. And these beautiful stories about, you know, how sometimes you just need to get a little bit of distance from what you've been in the whole time, you know, to really understand what it is that you're coming back to has a lot of value. I, I think I think that's certainly been true for me uh, in relationships since divorce. And also this trip out to Atlanta was really helpful in the sense that it gave me just some distance and perspective to say my, pro my problems are kind of localized in Los Angeles, you know, and then there's a world outside of it, which is totally peaceful and normal and beautiful. And I can bring those elements back into my life here in some way. So it doesn't feel like I'm totally isolated with stuff going on here in Los Angeles. The stories actually really help whether your house is crowded or not, or you enjoy the experiences that you're having at home as it is. So where are your shoes pointed now, Noam? Oh, good question. And how crowded is your house, Sheva? My house is insane. My, the chickens are, are, are coming out of the windows in my house. <laughs> my shoes, you know, I don't know that I have my shoes pointed in any particular direction now that you ask it. I think uh, I just... I'm happy to put them on every day. That's what it is. I'm happy to put my shoes on every day and go out there in the world. And I think that's really all that you can ask for and try to enjoy the experience for much as it is. Nice. I wonder what other people do out there post-divorce to find a sense of perspective and to understand themselves better. Even this whole thing of my travels and you're talking about you know, your career and trying to really develop and articulate your niche and your expertise and what you really love to do, I think are all elements of that, figuring out what you really love and what you really want and, you know, how you see your life unfolding after divorce is really useful to take a step back. You know, we talk about how the Israelites wandered around, that God took them on this, you know, circumlocutous route rather than directly to Israel, right, right out of Egypt and easier route, God took them all around where they were going to have to grow. They were going to have to gain some perspective on things. Those are really useful opportunities. 
That's the, that's the learning curve. Some people jump right into that experience of transition and some people are slower to come to it either way, slow or fast. It's all your shoes are pointing in a different direction. Divorces for the most part, you're not going back. And I guess in that, in that metaphor, you do hopefully go back to relationship. So how, you know, what have you learned when on your journey out of town, what have you learned when you come back to relationship, even if it's relationship to yourself? That's exactly the point I thought you were getting at, which is that it's not about necessarily relationships with other people. It's relationship to yourself and relationship to yourself in career or how you see yourself developing what you want in life. Huge. Yeah, well, I don't I don't I think they're kind of separate entities. There's relationship to yourself, which yeah. is really important. But then there's relationship to other, which many people want and pursue. But pointing your shoes in a diff out going out for perspective and then pointing them back towards the relation towards the concept of relationship and what looks new and what is new you know it's funny like coming to realize that you need to yourself understand yourself better almost makes me think that you know like everything happens in your life at way too much of a young age like you try to figure out your career at a young age you try to figure out if you want a family at a young age you try to figure out if you want to spend the rest of your life with someone at a young age and it, you don't need to do any of that shit, right? There should be, you don't have to figure shit out until you're at least 35. By the time you're 35, that's when you can start making those major decisions. That's when you should be better equipped this, to handle all that. Is this the, an ideology you'd like to see exist? Is this well, like what the world looks like according to Noam? Probably. Okay. If I had a conversation about what the world would look like, according to Noam, it would be vastly different than I think a lot of people's and somewhat scary. But my point is to say that, like, there's just too much stuff going on. Like, how can you possibly really understand that much about yourself and what you really want to do at such a young age when society expects us to make those decisions? And maybe, again, that's just me and my observation of it. Maybe that's the Jewish community and the bubble that we live in, right? That there's a lot of pressure to kind of have those decisions made or else you're just kind of wandering out there and nobody wants to see that, right? Nobody wants to see you wander out there having not having shit figured out. Right? You got to have some sense of security around you. But I think what we're talking about is to say that that stuff takes a lot of time, right? I mean, divorce is a result of people not really knowing themselves fully or knowing really what they want out of relationships or to articulate it really well enough so that their partner can give them what they want. So they get dissatisfied in a lot of ways. And those marriages and career shifts happen. And look, these transitions are going to happen, right? That's not to say that everyone sticks with their one decision the entire time in their life, but that, you know, I wonder what would happen if there was more time taken before making major decisions. And look, in many ways, I feel blessed. I'll say it. I feel blessed that I've had opportunities at transition, major transition points in my life to say, these are things that I want. And these are things that I don't want in my life. And that's part of developing that relationship with self. So listeners, where are your shoes pointed? I like that story. The pointing your shoes in different directions. And maybe, maybe it doesn't involve turning back and going back. Maybe you just keep going. Perhaps you turn your shoes the other way. And take a survey of your house. Is it really that crowded? And what do you need to do to kind of declutter it? Get the shit out that you don't want. Bring in the shit that you do want and reimagine the space. Be your own interior decorator of your soul. Ooh. So that's interesting because my life 
the metaphor of the house being full are all things that I want, um, but it just feels crowded. But everything that I'm doing or have in my life is intentional right now. It's just all going to change mm. soon. It'll feel very different. But it's not. It's not unnecessary clutter. These are all things that need to be happening. Same time, a bit much. That's a very good question. Lesson is there. <laughs> that, that's a very you broke up a little bit there, but I'll try to make it clear on the edit. But it, it's a very good point that you're making in terms of the difference between having a full life and having a crowded life. Oh. Right. What parts of your life are full and what yeah. parts of your life I couldn't are sustain what I'm doing. I couldn't sustain what I'm doing long term. So I I can do this because I see an end soon. So I can push myself, okay, I know there's this this week's left and I can do this and I can kind of go on autopilot and just keep going. But this isn't a sustainable level for I wonder how couples actually do that. Like how do couples do that in healthy ways? Right? Like how do they keep their lives full without it getting crowded? Because you both want different things. And at a certain point in your life, there's stuff that you really want and you're not willing to accept other things as well. So how do you like make that work in terms of having a full life and a full relationship without it being crowded so much so that you're pushing the other one out? Maybe that's a struggle that some people or many people don't know how to navigate. You also have two people who are working, you know, you have two parents <laughs> kind of does free up sometime that the other parent can watch the child as every opposed other. to when I have my kids, I have my kids. Like you were talking about <laughs> every, yo, for every other. Yo, yo. going strong. <laughs> That's right. All right, friends. Yeah. Find us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at the Jewish Divorce Project, where we're constantly making updates and sending out these beautiful podcasts and snippets. And let us know what direction your shoes are pointed or how crowded or how full your life feels at this moment and what makes it that way. You can also find us online, right, Sheva? Yes. www.thejewishdivorceproject.com and our email if you'd like to reach out, thejewishdivorceproject at gmail.com. Wonderful. Another one for the books, folks. And look forward to really wonderful, great episodes coming up in the future. Peace out. Mm -hmm.